Hey everyone, Simon here from the AWS Podcast with a quick pre-podcast announcement. If you are listening to this before the 18th of April, 2017, and you can get to San Francisco or you're located there, then uh, you can learn more about lots of what we talk about on the podcast at the AWS San Francisco Summit. You can register for free at aws.amazon.com forward slash summits forward slash San dash Francisco. That's the San Francisco Summit for AWS, April 18th and 19th of 2017. Check it out. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AWS podcast. Great to have you back. Simon Alicia here in rainy Melbourne, Australia. That's your regular weather update that you're looking forward to always. Um, but to counteract the bad weather here, I talk to people around the world. Today, I've got a special guest. I'm joined by Nathan Wallace, who is the founder and CEO at Turbot. Um, welcome, Nathan. Hey, Simon. Thanks for having us. Now, Nathan, you're in uh, in New York or environs thereof, um, so hopefully counteracting my weather, although I do detect a slight Australian accent there. I am an, indeed an Australian who moved over here a number of years ago, so we can't can't say it's beautiful. It's definitely cold. <laughs> it's snow on the ground, but you know, it's sunny at well, least. It's the big apple. It's the big apple. So so you've, you're the founder and CEO of a company called Turbot, uh, rhymes with robot, but spelt like the fish. Um, what do you guys do? Demystify. What do you guys do? Yeah, so what we do is what we think of as software-defined operations. And really what that means is for large enterprises or other organizations that are really making that shift to the cloud, we, else, we have a software platform that they can use that basically does a full automation of best practices, security and compliance controls, networking, identity and access, all those different things. So that really helps them to set up tens or hundreds of Amazon accounts, for example, set up different application teams into each of those accounts with different levels of access in their different environments. And that really gives you this balance of complete agility for the application teams mixed with a set of ensured controls for the enterprise or the organization that's trying to let them have that freedom, but in a safe way. Excellent, excellent. And it's, it's interesting, I mean, with... With AWS, you know, often new customers, their first uh, contact with AWS is the console and it kind of feels comfortable and you can do some stuff and you, you sort of get uh, excited about, oh, I, I just created an instance and it took you know, a few, a couple of minutes and I created a network and it took seconds or a firewall rule that took seconds. Um, but clearly that, that's not a scalable approach. Like I, I, I shiver when I see more established customers still jumping into the console because really the advantages are to be had in automation. And there's automation in that you can do lots of things very quickly, but you also need um, some pretty good guardrails. I know you guys talk a lot about guardrails. Tell us about how you make that real for a large enterprise who's maybe doing you know, VPCs at scale and using lots of services, et cetera. How does, how does that look um, with your platform? Yeah, absolutely. So we see a lot of large enterprises and what they typically are doing is running you know, tens or hundreds of actual Amazon root accounts. And then they're setting up completely isolated network environments in each of those accounts. So each application or even application environment actually has its own account with its own mini VPC. So the way that looks in a you know, more automated or managed environment is that you actually do full automation of that setup, the networking across it all, the tying back to your, your over your direct connect, your on-premise, and then the setup of the different application teams in that environment. And what you really want to have there is, you know, to your point, 
you want control and guardrails around people, but you also want to give them a lot of freedom. So one of the things we actually believe at Turbot is that users should have the Amazon console. We think that's a good thing. We think they should also have API access. They should have all of that direct native access to the cloud, whether it's to do you know things like Lambda or even you know start the corporate you know Linux instance and image. And what we try to do is basically give them complete access to that environment, but in a way where we're always watching, detecting, and then automatically repairing. So for example, you want your users to create as many S3 buckets as they need, but you want to make sure they're encrypted. So you want to detect that automatically. That's something Turbot does, for example. So they create a bucket using the console or API. We detect that within seconds, and then we automatically apply the policies that have been set for that particular account or bucket or environment. Right. And then that sort of model flows across lots of things. Create as many Linux servers as you want, but they better be security hardened. You better use SSH keys to access, and that better be based on the fact that you exist in an active directory for the organization. So it's really trying to get that mixture of complete access and control, but in a set of framework guardrails that make things safe. Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, customers get a huge amount of value from the agility of using AWS. So they, they can move quickly, they can choose things when they want, et cetera. Um, so, so having that, you know, trust but verify model where you, as you say, you're allowing people to access as they want, that they're, they're not forced to go through a particular console or a particular interface. However, what your platform is doing, and I saw a really interesting demo you did at, at reInvent, it's, it's basically near real time, um, validation, like sort of when, when someone does something that's, that's out of policy rather than sort of getting the big, ah, you can't do that go talk to someone, um, it's it's neatly shifting it back into – it's kind of nudging it back into policy um, and putting some notifications out there so people understand what's going on. So maybe talk, talk to us a little bit about how, how near real-time that process tends to be for organisations. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what we do is um, we actually automatically wire up all those Amazon accounts with um, CloudWatch events. Right, um, which allows us to watch all the API calls going on. And then basically, once we have those calls, we stream them back to our central Turbot server where we're watching all of those events and then applying the context to work out what policies, et cetera, to apply. So for something like an S3 bucket, you know, literally it can be a period of less than 10 seconds before we get that notification from AWS. And then we catch that in Turbot. We start to go, okay, you're in account AAC. They have rules which says they can't be public. So we then apply a whole bunch of policies um, and settings on that. And we call back out to that S3 bucket to actually apply those policies or controls, turn on access logging, you know, turn on versioning if that's something you want, all those different things in real time. So the whole thing really does happen, you know, within literally seconds of it happening. And for something like S3, that's great. But when that's really, really powerful is when you want to give users the freedom to do things like, for example, create IAM roles to work with their Lambda functions. Like if you need to have a corporate sign-off process or a complex rule set around how you can create IAM roles, which is an incredibly you know, highly privileged action that slows everybody down and it prevents best practice. What it says is create broad ones that you can reuse lots of times instead of creating very specific ones properly through automated tools. But with something like a Turbot where you're watching that and then we grab those roles, lock them down with very, very sophisticated IAM policies, you know, with whitelisting, um, that gives you, again, that freedom for people to create those sorts of roles have that sort of freedom, create that type of best practice, but with a real-time, you know, within seconds type control. Yeah, yeah. And that, that real-time or near real-time aspect, I think, is, is the, that's the secret source or the magic that makes the end user experience 
not frustrating because <laughs> because anything that involves sort of you know com- compliance or restrictions you know p- people tend to chafe against them so having it this way if you is- have to go through a manual process you've killed mm. agility you're done yep totally right game over <laughs> yeah exactly it has to be free self-service but with control Exactly. I still talk to enterprises that dream of six-week server. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, there's really weird behaviours that happen when you do that. When you have a six-week server, what do you do? You request the biggest one you can because you know you're not getting another one for four years. So we see enterprises come on and what they do is their users start provisioning these huge servers and then they realise, oh, I don't need that. I can just do a little Mm -hmm. one and I can make it bigger. Exactly. It, it changes the supply and demand model. There's no, there's no sort of concept of scarcity. And, and no. once scarcity is gone, then there's no hoarding or, or other sort of, as you say, poor behaviours that take place. Correct. So, um, so tell us about some of the customers you work with and some of the, the benefits they get from doing it this way. No, absolutely. So, yeah, we work with a pretty wide range of customers. We have a lot of life sciences customers um, that we work with, you know, Celgene, Regeneron, uh, Takeda, companies like that. And basically, they've got a lot of security and compliance requirements. They want to do you know, heavy, large-scale genomic work, right, um, but in a way where their researchers have a lot of flexibility and freedom to be able to use that platform. Or they've got you know hundreds of applications that they want to migrate into the cloud, and they're trying to work out, what is my landing zone to put those in? How do I give a framework for that? So we work with those sort of regulated industry customers on that type of landing it on an environment, but where they still have a lot of freedom for those sorts of research activities, et cetera. We also work with other companies that have much more of a DevOps focus, you know, a company like McGraw-Hill Education. They've got a lot of websites they're running using, you know, all sorts of, you know, great Amazon tools at large scale. And they, again, need a way to give their developers a lot of freedom, but where they've got that sort of control and safety around them to make sure they're not doing things in, you know, non-best practice or risky ways. And so, in terms of those, those those guardrails, I mean, it's it's interesting. I often find it fascinating to watch people using AWS and and finding things they want to do with it. And sometimes those things are new and novel. I mean, you talk about you know the research community, etc. I mean, clearly they they're often pushing the envelope in the way they do things. How does your tool allow people to adapt those running rails appropriately? Like, what's the, what's the feedback loop look like? What's that process of of adjusting those those guardrails when necessary? Yeah, so we actually um, implement what we have um, literally hundreds of policy settings or options. We provide out of the box a best practice setup of those um, for our customers. And then they can gradually start to create exceptions or modifications to that based on what they need. So for most accounts, they might, for example, require S3 is never public. But then in some accounts, they need to provide S3 as website access. So in those accounts, they set options to allow those things to become more public or available. So that's one mechanism. The second thing about Turbot is that we actually run a software inside their Amazon account inside their environment. So it's sitting inside, you know, their IP space inside one of their Amazon accounts and running that way. And what that means is that they can start to you know, set those policies appropriately for themselves. Right. But the second thing we do is we constantly provide updates to that every week or two. Amazon moves really fast, right? If you're going to support that type of environment with new guardrails for new you know, attack vectors, new services, you need a service that's continuously updating with you. So basically what we're doing is constant software updates, adding more and more guardrails and capabilities. And then we couple that with the ability for those teams to really you know, customize and set different options and you know, um, settings in that environment. The other thing we do is in a place like Linux. I apologize, sorry. 
So I was going to say it's, it's very much a bespoke setting for your specific scenario built upon the basis of the foundation that you've created for them. Yeah, it's really a set of, um, you know, basically what they do is to sit with their security compliance teams and talk through, okay, what are your settings around encryption? What sort of level of access do you want to require here? Which services are okay? Do you let Route 53 happen or is that something you want to manage centrally? There's a whole bunch of conversations you want to take uh, through that environment. And then from there, application teams can start building in those guardrails. And because you've got the guardrails in place, they can have a lot more freedom. You don't have to pre-approve everything they want to do. Fantastic. Fantastic. So how would customers find Turbot and how do they use it? Yeah, so um, if you're interested in talking, we'd always love to do that. We're at turbot.com. Um, you can find us there. Um, we're happy to talk through that, give you a demo, talk about how that product works. Um, and basically, we take it from there. Typically, we have an, you know, some sort of engagement and conversation to talk through those policies and how, that get, how to get started. Fantastic. Sounds like fun. Thanks uh, Thanks again for joining me today, Nathan. Um, good to hear an Aussie voice on the line as well, uh, even if you're far, far away. Thank you, Simon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, we do love to get your feedback, AWS podcast at amazon.com. And as always, keep on